the incomparable. Number 393, February 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and on this episode, we're going to be talking about the second season of a TV show that we already told you about in a previous episode. If you haven't listened to that episode about NBC's, uh, it's a sitcom, it's a 30-minute sitcom, but it is so much more than that, and it's a perfect fit for The Incomparable, and we love it. The Good Place, season two, has just completed, and we're going to, he- we're going to talk about it and our feelings about it now, and I have five wonderful people here to talk about it with me, Chip Sutter is here from a good medium place let's say hi chip it's a medium place jason didn't we record this podcast already like 840 times uh yeah but those didn't take and we've rebooted so uh this is where we are right now um by the way about 790 of those times the podcast was ruined by glenn fleischman hi glenn oh hey i'm sorry (laughs) i was just out at ihop and uh you know what happens so here i am well, we, we're glad to have you this time. Don't 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 ruin it too badly this time. Kathy Campbell is here, also joining us from a very good place. Hello, a very very good place. I have real ice cream. <laughs> All right, Whoa. no uh, no uh, shrimp bar, <laughs> a little shrimp no, flavor I'm bar. Not a big fan no. of shrimp. All right, well that's no. oh well. Uh, Brian Hamilton's here. Hello, as I once said on the set of Arrested Development. Hi, Jason. Very happy to be here. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but there you go. And Aline Sims is also here from a a medium place this week. Hi. Hi. There's just something so human about taking something good and ruining it just a little Mm. so you can have more of it. (laughs) By the way, for those who have not listened to our other episode about The Good Place, it's number 345. Go listen to it if you haven't listened to this one. Also, go watch The Good Place. If you haven't seen The Good Place. Yes. Because it's great. And it's probably on Netflix or you're in America and it was on NBC and you should have watched it. And maybe they still have episodes on their website. I don't know. But the rest of the world gets it on Netflix. All right. So we're going to now talk about what happens in season two. So I guess I'll fire off the spoiler horn here because we're really not going to talk about why you should watch The Good Place other than to say we said you should watch it after season one was over. We were right. We continue to be right. Go watch it. And now we're going to fire off the spoiler horn and we're going to immediately talk about what happens in season two. So you shouldn't listen unless you're one of those people. And I know you're out there. I, I hear from you every now and then who just listen to things that they've not seen or read and hear all about what happens in them. And maybe they watch them later and maybe they don't. Okay, well, then you can blow right past this spoiler horn. There is nothing <laughs> we can say about this show that wouldn't spoil it. So do not listen, please. Yeah. Hello, this is the podcast from slightly later in the podcast, and Chip just said something that I want to say before we blow the spoiler horn, which is that he got spoiled on what happened in season one, and it it made him watch it because he heard there was a twist, and he was really <laughs> interested. So if that intrigues you that there's a twist, maybe you should uh, go ahead and listen or don't or watch it or whatever. Uh, we're very confused in the future. You'll find out why in a minute. Okay, bye. We got to go back to the future now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jason, I have an opening statement. Really? Ooh. All right, post spoiler horn opening statement, Chip. I I, I do. I okay, do. Okay, let's do, let's do this. Is un it's unprecedented, but I'll allow it. Well, I appreciate it, but <laughs> dramatic. It's it's because of it's because of y'all that I watched the Good Place in the first place, and I had no interest in it until I allowed y'all to spoil me. 
Interesting. Uh, all, all, Interesting. The all, all the discussions in our uh, private Slack channel, and uh, I, and I picked up on the fact that there was a twist, and that everybody was really excited about the twist. And I was like, this is a sitcom. I'm not terribly interested in watching sitcoms these days, but everybody's talking about this twist. What in the world is this twist? Oh, really? Now I'm interested because this show actually has a long game. Mm. And so uh, a, a couple of months after everybody else in the world had watched the season one of The Good Place, I ran, 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 ran through the whole thing. And I had no idea how much I needed this show. Mm. That's great. Yeah. So thank you, Incomparable Friends. Aww. You made me fall in love with a show. <laughs> Friend of the show, Quinn Rose, uh, is in the same boat as you, Chip, where she didn't have any interest in it until she knew the twist and is now watching season one completely differently, knowing that Michael is screwing with our characters the whole time. Uh, I would argue season two is very different in that yeah. every episode is completely separate and a delight reveal in and of itself. So I don't think this strategy works for season two. Oh boy. Uh, so everybody, I just went back in time and told people that about that what Chip said. Um, yeah. I, well, I edit the podcast, so I, <laughs> I have these, I have these powers. This is the power I have. You have the power. Wow. So, so in the end of season one, the big twist that everybody talked about the chip, that chip liked him, even though we spoiled him on it and that spoiled Quinn on it and all of that is they're not in a good place. This is not just like a wacky sitcom about a couple of people who find themselves in heaven when they really don't deserve to be there. It's actually for people who are tormenting each each other in a setup that may, they think it's the good place, but it's really not by Michael Ted Danson, who is actually a demon working there in the bad place. And Eleanor figures it out. And when we leave season one, she knows they're going to get rebooted with their memory wiped. And she leaves a note in the mouth of Janet to the not a robot lady who is very helpful uh, saying, fine, not a lady, not a lady. Sorry, not a robot, not a lady, not a woman. <laughs> Uh, software <laughs> something, Janet. Uh, and then, so season two... She's just Janet. So she's just Janet. Uh, season two t- picks up from that, but very rapidly makes you realize that the, the season two is not going to be a semi-replay of season one with a oh, slightly no. advanced ball. Very rapidly, we, we discover that they have to replay The Good Place hundreds of times because they always figure it out and they always mess it up. And Michael is increasingly frustrated by it. And then even when the speed of the plot sh- slows down, as as uh, as we were just saying a little bit earlier, um, the diversity of episodes, like every episode is not afraid to advance the plot and tell a different kind of story and feel different to the point where late in this season, this very short 13 episode season, there's an episode where they essentially fold up the set of the show that has been the show up to that point and say goodbye to it like presumably we're never going to see it again so that i feel that it was emblematic of this entire season that it is not afraid to just change things on any pace that they wanted and, and the, the first couple episodes tell you that right up front like this is not what you think we're you're going to come back to for season two yeah every recap and review of this show has dwelled on the fact that it season two is like a constant treadmill of status quo resets it's like there. It's like a a, a a brick wall pops up on the treadmill every so often, and you have to hurdle it. And it's it. You just can't keep going. It's 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 new. The show reinvented itself like a good eight times in season two alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't seem to be a lot of fear here of of running out of story to tell. Like the the confidence level of the, of the creators and writers of this show is incredibly high. 
most of the uh, most other TV shows, this would be like any given episode. Almost every episode would be an entire series arc, and it might be like twenty or thirty episodes. And they're just burning. They're burning show ideas. It's like um, it's like an incredible extravagance. Like, oh well, you thought you knew what we were doing here. Well, that's another whole. Nope, we've done it. We're, we've spent one episode on it, and we've moved on. Not every episode, but many of them. Sometimes even just half an episode is is done and it easily could have been an entire season and it's they're just the writers and the producers and everyone is just they're just not scared to do whatever they it's almost as if these stray random thoughts come into their head and they're like we should do this but we don't really need to like flesh it out just give the basic (laughs) idea because our audience is smart enough to get the whole story just from little snippets couple scenes you can get it especially when they're they were going through all of the hundreds of reboots that they did i mean just like i'm sure they just had a couple meetings where they're like we could do this we could do this we could do this and then they just stuck them all together and it was brilliant oh, this is a ridiculous so well done artist megan amran who's one of the uh was she an executive producer she's one of the writers of the show but also a. Uh, she, she is, was, uh, became known and kind of got into television partly because of her excellent Twitter use. And after, uh, I think it was after the season premiere. Is that when it was? She posted that list of here's some of the other neighborhood restaurant ideas we All had. The puns. Mm, oh my yeah. God. Oh it's my like, gosh. Well, we All already saw, puns. we freeze framed and read like, you know, hundreds of them and she had a, or, you know, dozens of them and she had a list of like a, <clears throat> a hundred more. That's the degree of productivity they have on the creative side of the show. That was the third episode of the year which she wrote and she came up with a list of just pun filled different restaurant oh titles God, in different so d- in different genres and then and then tweeted it out and it's uh yeah it's it's pretty Those are the ideas pretty they didn't use right? it's amazing yep yeah absolutely um the the big if i have to say that there is one unifying thing about this season though it is about ted danson's character of michael because in the first season until that very last few moments he is the semi hapless uh you know angel like figure who is the architect of this particular part of the good place and he he's obviously made some mistakes and things aren't working out for him and in season 2 now that we know that he's actually a demon who is working to he has he has some big ideas about new ways of tormenting people by letting people torment each other uh we he goes on when when it turns out that this idea isn't working and he's put under pressure by his boss he ends up taking a journey and becoming a uh, a very different character and allowing the the other characters on the show to sort of teach him lessons about what it means to be human which is a very unexpected direction but i think i feel like that's the story of season 2 is michael's journey learning about human morality and you know not just from chidi although chidi is always happy to have a student but to from from the whole the whole gang and what i love about it is that you never are quite sure where he actually stands yeah. like is he actually do is he do- doing this to lead them on so that he can prolong their torture or is he actually there to learn and 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 they blatantly call it into question like with the trolley problem right where it's Uh like they're going through all of these iterations of the trolley problem and eleanor as she is wont to do is like wait a second are you torturing us and he's like oh yeah i actually was and so when you get to the (laughs) end of the season you know the last couple of episodes and you're like all right well is is he really is he playing them or what is actually happening? And 
it turns out he, I mean, unless this is a really long con that we'll find out about which next season. Which I think season, is possible. Which it's is possible. possible yeah. Which yeah. is totally possible. But it seems like he is actually learning about human morality. And I don't know. I like that it keeps Michael specifically, but the show in general just kind of keeps me on my toes. I never expected episode one to be like the entire previous season in an episode. <laughs> you know, it's just, right. I love, I love how they're playing around with all of it. It's great. I, I think there's an interesting other arc. Uh, I don't think it's more subtle because they talk about it, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a mystery. Here's the central mystery of season two is why does Eleanor, whenever given the slightest chance or motivation, why does she always act good? She is always striving towards good. She's always striving to improve herself. And Michael calls that out. He said, you know, every time you go to find Chidi, you try to improve yourself and you listen, you do, and you change. And then that becomes the argument at the end that like maybe the whole system is broken Mm -hmm. because these people are capable of change and that's not supposed to happen in our system. And so I think that mystery is something that has to be understood since she was so, you know, venal. Like all these people, this is the medium place I think idea too is these people have not committed, you know, um, um, mortal sins. I mean, some of them have, I guess Jason has, but they haven't killed people. You know, they haven't killed people. He's, he's Molotov cocktailed boats and things like that. Yeah. He, they, it's they've property committed, damage, Glenn. It doesn't count really. Right. Exactly. They've committed yeah, misdemeanors, not felonies. Yeah. They're, uh, they're venal sins. They're things that like Eleanor is a bad person, but you, but she hasn't actively like, um, I don't know. We don't see her beating someone up. She is selling chalk pills to seniors, but do they harm them? It's hard to say. Anyway, so I think that's, but I think that's the mystery is, is why is this person is so seemingly incapable of making any kind of reasonable moral decision when given the least opportunity does? Yeah. The, um, you know, one of the things this show does stop you at various moments and you just say, Oh my God, what, what did I just see? What does that mean? Uh, what did that, what does this mean for the premise? And, and the, the question of the long game is always there. Like, like it seems like Michael has sacrificed himself and has a solution to the trolley problem, but it could, it could be, it could be a twist. It could be fake. We'll, we'll find out. But, I think, Glenn, what you're saying, really, that that hit home for me, that mm-hmm. what this season felt about to me in the end was questioning the entire concept of redemption and uh, personal growth. And it gets to, I suppose, a more... I think maybe the show is kind of confronting the judgmental view of the afterlife that is woven into its premise that is sort of Judeo-Christian um, rather than a, you know, the more cyclical view of an afterlife where there's reincarnation and there's improvement because, and and I was sitting here in the last few episodes sort of shouting at the TV of like, they're improving as people, like that's got to count for something, even though it's in the afterlife. And then, you know, Michael basically says that in the last episode is, right. is this this is the question about the whole premise of, of this universe, which is if we can prove that these people strive to be better human beings after they died, then it's completely right. unjust to just punish them eternally. You should instead be trying to rehabilitate them. And and that's like, whoa, wait a second. Like, is that what this is really about? Is the, is this is this not really the truly bad place? Because this you know, or or they are they gonna overthrow heaven here and put in a new system that's more fair? I don't know, but that all all of those issues come up. Some of the jokes, especially in the first season, as you uh, see the spreadsheets and the info 
infographics about <laughs> what makes you a bad person or a good person, like uh, remaining loyal to the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. Being a Yankee fan, you're going to the yeah. bad place. Right? Yeah. Vanity um, plates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so many of the things, and I think Chidi, uh, who, who, who is a character that I have a great deal of affection for, not only because he and I share so many letters in our first names, but... Um, <laughs> But, Didn't see that coming. I guess I really need to have more of an affinity for Jason then, don't I? <laughs> All right, Blake Bortles. Yeah. Jake Jordan's out. Okay. You guys are so similar there. <laughs> I have Jaguars memorabilia. What are you talking about? True story. There's a Glenn in the show. Just by the way, that's his fake name. I want to take a break. And here's something a little bit strange. Our sponsor this week is another podcast. But I think it's a podcast that listeners to the incomparable might like. It's called Night Call from Audio Boom, and it features Grantland alumni Molly Lambert, Tess Lynch, and Emily Yoshida. They're a weekly podcast, keeping you company during lonely nights and strange days. It is the meeting place between things like alien documentaries and Frasier. Have I told you my theory about how Eddie the dog is God? Some other time. Anyway, it's a, it's a place between breaking pop culture news and lasting questions like how Molly thinks Billy Joel is Italian, which is, I don't even know that that that's a conspiracy. Anyway, every Monday, the hosts who are on the different coasts, they sit down and do a free jazz blend of pop culture, internet culture, and half-baked conspiracies just to keep it interesting. People can call in to 24046-NIGHT, and they'll offer advice about life, love, and the apocalypse, of course. Uh, lots of really interesting voices on this show. Lots of interesting conversation. If you like The Incomparable, you might want to check out Night Call. It's available now on Apple podcasts and wherever you find podcasts from audio boom night call thank you to audio boom and night call for sponsoring the incomparable this week check it out people get sent to the bad place just as just as glenn was saying not just because they did awful things to other people but in many ways because they are the sort of person that you might see in real life or on the internet and say you are too annoying to live you know, it's 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 it it's hell is for annoying people, um, and that's one of the things that I'll be looking for in uh, season three and beyond. You know, the, the the question that Michael asked about you know this whole system sucks. You know, I there may be an uh, even longer game that Michael Schur is playing here because you know as far as the definition of good and bad but these are medium people these are not bad people um and it's like they are being punished for being out of step not for being evil Hmm. and that's what season one uh hinges on the whole time is because the twist at the end is so effective because after it's rationalized why this is the bad place and why these people belong in the bad place uh, it makes sense why uh, these people are there. And my favorite thing about the show is as it goes on, we learn more and more about the show's own personal code of ethics. Like, first we learn Red Hot Chili Peppers gets you into the bad place. Then we learn <laughs> PBR gets you into the bad place. And then we learn that Calling Frisbee Ultimate gets you into the bad Like, as things go on, and that's why the twist at the end works so well, because, oh, of course Chidi belongs in the bad place. Of course Tahani belongs in the bad place. And seeing their redemption arc yeah. throughout season two while still learning about the world they're in and Michael Schur's uh, state of mind, I guess, <laughs> is yeah. so rewarding. Yeah. I mean, Cheedy Cheedy uh, filibustered recess. You know, he's that annoying. <laughs> but, 
Does Chidi have a redemption arc in season two? I'm not sure. I he, think that's one of the yeah, challenges no, is that Chidi, Chidi understands all of the issues that are involved in what they're doing. And yet at the end, you know, he really cannot decide between the tan hat and the gray hat. But who is he hurting well, because he can't decide? Who is he hurting because he can't pick a hat? He's hurting the rest of the group. He's hurting the rest of the group because that was the whole thing was they all had to succeed in order to go to the good place. And but ah, because he right. could not choose a hat, the rest of them were screwed. And it was laid out very clearly. Yeah. His indecision, right? Yeah, I, I just, yeah. I think Chidi is a really fantastic character. But I, I think, I think what the show did with him in season two is fascinating because I do think like he knows more about this as an ethics professor than anyone about all of the journeys they're going through and of course the trolley problem but when he's confronted with the trolley problem you know in reality it's more complicated than and and he's (laughs) paralyzed with with in his decision making and of course in the end when when the burrito episode he he just can't even decide on a hat between hat a and hat b and so it's just that's the irony of 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 chidi's situation It, it, it kind of thrills me although i suppose the show wants to say that he's finally learned a lesson when he kisses Eleanor at the end of the last episode. Yeah, yeah. He makes a decision. He does the thing and he has not been saying they're agonizing. He realizes he's agonizing and then he goes and makes and just does it. Or the same thing. I mean, that's that thing is I thought at some point they'd collapse the universes and that there's and there, this may be yet to come. And they're like, here are all your memories back. Here's all the improvement you went through. Because this version, I think this is actually worth pointing out, is that this version 812, 800 and uh, Second time, 800 second time. This is not their best selves, right? They're about a week or something into this reboot. And so the people we've met in season one, these aren't those people. These aren't the people who've gone through other iterations that we're seeing glimpses of in the, uh, the first two episodes in this season. Um, these are people who are much earlier in their journeys. They don't understand or know each other as well. And they're forced to work together in a different way. And, and she's, I think she has this wonderful, agony when he's in the the medium place and he's looking over that list of things they've tried that Minnie Sinclair has, has made. She's very sweet in her very, right. <clears throat> you know, a caustic way. And um, I thought at one moment, I'm like, oh, she's actually God and she's got it. And I think I've discarded that theory. But he's there and he's like, this is like, you know, we can't make better choices because we're not allowed to learn from it. So what is the value of each of those reboots? Are those gone forever, all the moral advancement they made? I think the answer may be yes, unless they have a a way to bring it back. Because his arc is to be the teacher, right? Tahani makes advancements. Jason, I don't know, but but Chidi's role is he's the constant. Well, I mean, he does he he beats the Jaguars at Madden with the Titans, which is for That's Jason true. a huge yeah. step forward, <laughs> right? That's which right. again, because Jason's kind of a joke character, but they're like in this person's very small universe, what would be progression? What would be selflessness? Right? But I think Chidi is like the still point in the universe. You have mm. to have something that's still. I mean, he's a, he's the straight man also. But it's the the idea that Michael says, you always find Chidi, right? And he always, has he ever said no and not help me? And Michael said, no, yeah. he never has. And you're like, that moment in that episode was incredible. I mean, I think this show, we should point out too, like how moving, it's a comedy, right? And it's got, you know, great comedic stars in it. And the newcomers are amazing comedic actors. And yet this show gets me, hits me. There are some episodes that I'll, I'll rewatch them and I will cry at the same part because there's a, a like a moral and ethical and emotional truth that it tells. And that bit about, no, Chidi never turns me down. Chidi always helps me. Every universe. It's the perfect melding of sitcom and lost. 
Maybe we'll get answers this time. Um, Mike Schur has told the story several times that before he uh, pitched the show, he had lunch with Damon Lindelof and said, is this a thing? And walked through the whole idea, including the twist, because he was thinking about it as sort of like a Lost-esque kind of thing. And Damon Lindelof was, yes, yes, that is a thing. You should pitch this show immediately. And the rest is history. Um, And and it's not far off. Like, what if we took the some of the storytelling of and and burning through plot of 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 aspects of lost and applied it in this way to this you know this this i mean like literally they're in limbo all the time which was always the theory about lost right so that's that's actually what this what this is um what about tahani i'm curious what you all think about about her her journey i mean obviously again those last couple episodes are so pivotal in that we're sort of seeing their their in their tests with the judge we're sort of seeing their progression as a character i in season one i think the joke is that tahani although on the surface belongs in the good place it's very clear for me it was like very early on i'm like why is she here she mm-hmm. seems terrible and she's that, a, yeah. i'll just interject she's she's a counter to mini st Clair, right that's the interesting part is mini st Clair's story of coming up with a perfect idea dying before she can implement it then her sister bring it into effect is almost a perfect counter to tahani raising all this money in life but for the wrong reason right it's never presented that way one-on-one but i think that is an element of a of a pivot we're supposed to see. But in season two, Tahani gets a chance to not just be this sort of joke with the payoff that, oh, no, she actually is awful. And and I, I think she advances. I mean, she's eating a Cheeto. She ate a Cheeto. Yeah, and telling her parents about <laughs> it. A, the way she, by the way, the way she pronounces that is so great. A Cheeto. Cheeto. Like, like, I don't even want to touch the Cheeto. word when I say it. I'm just going to. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, you know, Tahani advances and, and, and like has a relationship with Jason at one point. I mean, it's like, she, yeah, she comes a long way, I think. Absolutely. Tahani and Cheeti are opposites. Um, Tahani, if you if you look at motivations and actions for how you determine whether somebody is good, Cheaty means well, bless his heart. He just can't make a decision. <laughs> Tahani does all the right things, but she doesn't mean well. She's selfish and she wants credit. She wants to, you know, she's still scarred by her parents uh, not uh, approving of her and uh, feeling overshadowed by her sister. So um, the good place... The co- good place cosmology is you must be perfect. And Chidi and Tahani are just not, they don't qualify for the exact opposite reasons. As happens so often in The Incomparable, talking about this with y'all makes me appreciate uh, their character growth more. I had in my back pocket written on a note card that I didn't like the fact that all of these reboots, while interesting on a cosmic level that we can look at these 26 episodes and say, this is fascinating. I love this show. I feel like in season two, All of the characters had been reduced down to a few very distinct traits. And that's for the sake of this show is a masterclass in stuffing as many jokes as possible into every line of dialogue, every background uh, sign, every Mm -hmm. single little ion of show has a joke in there somewhere. And it's brilliant. But I think to the detriment of uh, all the rest of the characters. uh, Yeah, you're right. The last few episodes really advance them but this is my biggest problem with the ending of the season is that while it's interesting that there is another reboot and that they are reincarnated back onto earth i think that 
while it's interesting for us to watch, again, the characters are rebooted. These are not going to be the same characters. We are starting at square one with different people that need to relearn all the things that we already know. So it's going to be interesting. But I think for the sake of the characters, there's really not much there with the fact that they keep getting rebooted and they're different people constantly. I I totally get what you're saying, Brian, because there's this feeling early on in the season, I felt it for sure, that's like, oh, we lost so much progress. Like, we spent a whole season with these characters and they learned and grew, and now they're they're being uh, set back and... And it's uh, it's frustrating, although they do by fast forwarding, they they get us they, they sort of cheat a little bit there in a good way. But I, I, I feel like thematically, like this is what the show is trying to tell us in a way, which is um, what is, what's their nature like is their nature to have this striving to be better people and at the the last episode of this season just says it outright which is let's test them let's drop them back in their lives and see if they'll be better people if they have the the, the capacity to grow and change as people if they are allowed to live a little bit longer um now you know i'm not sure that excuses that feeling like wait a second we had these rich characters we spent 13 episodes with and now they've been rebooted and they're less of what they were but i think that is like philosophically what the show's trying to say well it's like a crucible it's like they've been burned to their essence and we get to see them over and over and over again see what they're made of and so now we're seeing a version of them but we know what they're capable of it's not like even given like given the fact that chidi's basic nature doesn't change he always helps when he's asked like that's a factor. So it's actually a different kind of character deconstruction. Like usually you get to know somebody better through the accretion of detail in a story. In this case, we know them better by who they truly are as they go through these tests. They don't, they don't evolve and become totally, oh no, sorry. I mean, even when they become sort of different people, it's they always become better people. They always have key personality traits. Like Eleanor will always go and find Chidi. Like this is something no matter what happens and whether or not she actually tells him she loves him or any of that, there's these key pieces that are continuously showing themselves in each of the reboots that allow their the audience to really reaffirm who they are as a character, even if each individual interaction is going to be different. It's like a big nature versus nurture experiment on mm. dead adults, basically. Like, <laughs> 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 the analogy breaks down at some point, but like it's it's it is like if we could reset to zero, if we could reset you to zero at, at a stage in life, we could find out really like we could actually settle the nature versus nurture debate. Right. And um, I feel like that's part of what this is doing is like if we make you, you know, like baby unscathed people in the air quotes, good place. What happens? It's interesting. That's a thought experiment and not to go back to like 16th century France, but there you go. I think that's where it's from is there's <laughs> a thought experiment about raising children in like high walled, you know, um, courtyards in which they would never be spoken to or have their behavior corrected and they would see what language they learned and how they evolved. And, you know, there's different plays and novels written about that for hundreds of years. And this is another iteration of that is like, what is the true moral nature in a vacuum? Like what happens? And to some extent, this is just another stage, you know, along let's, let's experiment with how people engage. Um, you know, one level, this is perfect for Chidi because this allows him to test out all of the ideas. He's just too upset and has too much of a stomachache. Right. <laughs> so we should probably talk about uh, Janet, who is not a robot, not a woman. Hello. 
But in this in this season, <laughs> Janet evolves an awful lot. When we last saw Janet uh, toward the end of the first season, I, I believe she uh, she you know was in love with Jason, but then they they rebooted her. And in this, she uh, she uh, evolves. We learn in this season that every time Janet reboots, she becomes more advanced. And she's rebooted more than any Janet, so she's like the most advanced Janet of the all, of all, and has become much less robotic over time. She she uh, causes lots of glitches because she's lying because she actually has feelings for Jason. Uh, they they create a uh, rebound boyfriend for her who is Derek. Derek, <laughs> that was so great. Oh, Derek, oh my gosh, that was so great. So and and Darcy Curtin does a good job of playing a character who is not human and yet has these amazing human characteristics. It's good. She stuff. is so good. She really oh, she's is so good. She really is. And Janet's yeah. taking. I mean, I got to say it. Janet's got a progression, right? Like the, mm-hmm. she's part of the theme. She she is yeah. also changing and growing as a person. Whatever mm-hmm. she but is, it's great because they're not. She's not a person. Th- they're not doing the Tin <laughs> Man. As a character, they're yeah. not doing the Tin Man journey with her though. She's not doing a Data. She's not doing a Spock. She's not doing a. What are all these things you call emotions? She has artificial emotions when they when you start with her, and over time those become more and more realistic and integrated. As a, and and that I love that. I mean, if it started with like I don't understand emotions or whatever, it's like no, no. I just say you know it, it, it's a very different approach. I think to to having somebody come into a sense of. Uh, uh, moral consciousness and uh, uh, you know true humanity. Janet is the singularity. Well, and it balances really well with with Michael's character growth and how mm. he grows as less of a demon. Um, they're both finding humanity in ways that they didn't expect, uh, and I think it's really it's just so interesting because those are the two stable characters you would think would be stable, but they're growing. Right just as often and just as much as the actual humans. He refuses to let her um, self-destruct because she's his friend, right? Which is a, a huge evolution yeah. for, for him to to do that. Because that would solve the problem if she just destroyed herself. But he won't let her do it. So they have to get right. Derek, um, which is a very very funny character who comes back at the end of so uh, great. the season. Wind chimes! <laughs> Yeah, she is given the most to do of any actor on the show, I believe, because she has Janet. She has bad Janet. She has all the different versions of Janet and all of the reboots and all of the different places she needs to be. It's it's so wonderful. So did you all notice? I'm curious. So good. There's that episode where where they're in the bad place, which we should talk about. Like we've gotten glimpse of the bad place. But at the end of the season, they fold up the good place and go to the bad place. And they're making their play to get to the real good place. And and uh, they're going to go in a hot air balloon. But that doesn't work out. And instead, they take the train to the bad place. And when they're there, they're supposed to hang out in like a museum of awful things while oh while Michael tries to do this. And 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 then you know, so there's that all of that which is funny and fascinating, and there are animatronic versions of themselves there for everybody, to, all the demons to point and <laughs> laugh at that they're horrified to see. But there's also that that scene where um, Janet is um, it, where bad Janet is present, right? And um, I don't know if anybody else noticed, but like I realized almost immediately that it was good Janet pretending to be bad Janet, uh, mostly because she called Michael Butterface. And I thought, that's a really dumb insult. 
Oh, oh. right. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the wrong Janet. She can't make good. She's just still trying to make insults and not doing a good job. But it shows you, I think we said this about a, a lot of, of, of genre programming, you know, you end up with these really interesting performances by actors because they have to do, you know, it's this person pretending to be this person, but not doing it well. Like, and Darcy Carden does a great job with that too, of like making a clear bad Janet a good Janet, and then also being able to perform good Janet um, acting like bad Janet, which she mm-hmm. does. Yeah, it's brilliant. She does a great job. It's she's just so good, so you know? good. Also, Molotov cocktail making is very important. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Jordals, and now yes. I have a different problem. Uh, I want to point out something too. My wife asked me, my wife Lynn. Uh, not my other wife, but my wife, Lynn. She uh, said, um, we haven't seen anybody from The Good Place, have we? And I said, yes, we have in season one. And this is the question. Whenever you talk about The Good Place, part of the issue is we know they're still playing us. We just don't know to what level, mm-hmm. right? And it may turn out this is all yeah. – like we don't know what position a super observer is. Are we a super observer? Are we being – so So that – you always have to preface it in the whole first season – is basic about reinterpreting the whole show. You watch it again after watching the last episode and it's a whole new thing. So in my impression, Mindy St. Clair seems so far as we know. So with the current available information, she's legitimate. Uh, everyone acts no matter who is present in the bad place and the four humans and so forth as if the medium place is a, as a real thing and the concepts presented. So in the video that she shows them the first time they go in season one, there is someone from the good place there with the, uh, the devil from the played by the mm-hmm. parks and Rex guy. And that to my knowledge is the only time we actually see someone from the good place. So, so we don't know what the good place is like. We don't know how many people are in the bad place or good place. We know what Michael showed us in the first season. Um, so the good place remains this entirely undefined area. And I assume at some future point, maybe that will be explored. Although one one also assumes a good place is really boring, so maybe not. I think the single best episode of the show overall is the episode in the Bad Place Museum. Because, <laughs> again, they jam so every single ounce of that episode oh, full of jokes. Every single placard and uh, like little character detail that everyone has. It, it's so delightful to see the care that they take in building Tahani's it. fake American accent that she totally oh, doesn't so need to do. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yep, yep, yep. Yes. So, she's so good in that episode. And her faux bun, or not faux bun, her faux bob. Oh my gosh. So good. Yes. She's name dropping even in the bad place. Yes. And Chidi ends up posing as Trent... And trying to convince everybody to do bad things, which is against his programming, basically. Uh, I I didn't realize till this moment that Kristen uh, Bell's husband was playing the the, uh, toxic masculinity torturing demon. I, I, I should have recognized him. He's great. That was a great role. All of those skits were awesome too, like all the animatronic things, oh, where it's my. like the first yes. first person to joke about like the first man to well actually a woman, right? Which was from yeah, from seventeen eighty three. Yeah, I just i i i laughed so hard. It was they were amazing because it's. I don't know. We're talking about all the things like what gets you in the bad place. And then there are legitimately things where I'm like, yeah, you definitely like I don't care what you call ultimate frisbee at the end of the day. 
probably don't care. <laughs> like, but maybe harassing someone? Maybe, maybe, yeah, I think that's possibly something that should land you there. And all the animatronics with all the incredible makeup that they did. There are times in the show where you can see the, uh, like the lines of production where, uh, the, the sound effects they do for the animatronics are a little hokey, but the incredible makeup that they do and the incredible, uh, movements that they do as they move along with a ch ch uh, is really great. And my other favorite little production detail that I'm sure they have the money to do this properly, but they never do as a stylistic choice is that Janet always appears and disappears with a cut. Yeah. So, you know, it's an intentional thing that they're doing at this point. And I think, yeah. the, uh, she always shows up behind people. Mm-hmm. She always shows up behind. She's always in a direction people don't expect. I think like 99.9. <laughs> have you all noticed that it's always, yes. they always have to turn around, even when she's in the bad place, good place, wherever. Well, yes. it makes me think of computers. Like, like I am good with computers. I'm good with my phone. I'm good with my Mac. But often it behaves in ways I don't expect. And I'm like, <laughs> that is exactly what an AI mm-hmm. that was trying to be helpful would do. Like, it, I just, I think it's such an awesome little touch. Well, and she's got their back. Ooh. Oh, I get, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. And, and she is, she gets to be the repository <laughs> for every single computer joke that they want to tell. Like, they can tell it through Janet. Janet has to do everything annoying that computers do if they want to tell jokes like that. That episode, um, yes. inside Bad Place HQ, um, Part of the reason it's great is the that they all have to kind of like fake it while they're while they're trapped there. Part of it is that we're seeing behind the curtain, or at least think we're seeing behind the curtain. I mean, who knows? But like after all of this time, other than some flashbacks, now they're in the actual ba- bad place, which where they don't want to be, but they're doing it, you know, for a heist. Basically, they're trying to get out of there. They've got a plan, right? And so you're like in the like there's there's real tension. Like there's like they're not supposed to be there, and they could get in real trouble. And this is the place they've been avoiding, but now they have to come there. And that's all great. Uh, and you tie it in with all the jokes and, and Tahani's American accent and, and Eleanor really trying to make everything um, fit together, even when she has to sort of yell at Chidi for not wanting to um, mm. recommend that the bros do terrible things. Right. right. My friend noticed something about uh, the Bad Place HQ episode uh, that made me immediately want to rewatch it. In his scene uh, with uh, Kristen Bell's husband, Chidi never actually lies. He always right. says things like, oh, right. people yeah. actually hate moral philosophy. Give him books. People hate mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. And watching him sweat through that is so brilliant. But he also never actually lies, which makes his performance that much better in my eyes. Everybody says that Darcy is the sort of the breakout unsung heroine actor on this show. I keep coming back to William Jackson Harper. So good. He's fantastic. I mean, is yeah. there is there a weak link in this cast? I mean, you've got first of all, no. you've got Kristen Bell no. and Ted Danson, no. two two well known actors who are who have been in other things and are very good. Like Ted Danson's like a Hall of Fame comedy guy. Kristen Bell's been in a bunch of great stuff, and then you've got a bunch of people we've never really seen before, and they're and with varying degrees of even experience as actors, and they're all they're all really good. One of the things that I've really come to appreciate is how great. Uh, Manny Jacinto is as Jason Mendoza, so like because that's yeah. hard to be to, to play yes. such a an aggressively dumb guy, right? Who's the butt of all the jokes? I've yeah. read interviews with the guy. The guy is the the guy is super smart, and then he turns it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminds me of uh, like Joey in Friends, mm-hmm. and reading interviews from Matt LeBlanc, who was like. 
I, I just have to turn my brain off. Like I just can't, I can't think when I'm doing this. It, it reminds me actually a lot more of Lisa Kudrow as Phoebe. Um, Cause yes, Joey was stupid, but uh, Lisa Kudrow is smart. Yeah. And coming in as Phoebe with just this very naive innocence, Jason's, you know, he's not, I mean, he's, yes, he's stupid. He's not smart, but he's very innocent as to how the world works and ha- and doesn't really want to try and get better because he doesn't see that better is is something necessary. There's something about about Jason, which is that um, he he has a certain kind of it's not exactly amorality. It is because he doesn't necessarily appreciate that there's anything wrong with what most of what he's doing. Right. right? He knows some of the things he's doing are wrong. We see that in the earth scenes. We know at times he's making moral judgments, but it seems to be a very small percentage of the time does that come up. And it sort of comes across as it's like. It's like a childish mode, but even children are much more moral actors. Children often have a very honed idea of what they know is right and wrong and what they should and shouldn't. His is almost – this is why the monk role is an interesting place to cast him. <laughs> and I think there's things we have to you know, learn from how <laughs> they chose those initial starting positions for people uh, because right. he has almost that removed from the world. He's almost unworldly in how – he doesn't engage with things, and yet the decisions he makes are so consistently the ones that are, I mean, in some cases harm people. But, you know, Jason, you're making that joke earlier. It's like property damage doesn't count, right? And and property theft doesn't count. But honestly, that's kind of the thing. He's sort of an unsuccessful drug dealer. He's unsuccessful at everything he does. When he shows his true self, he's rejected. But it never stops his optimism. Mm-hmm. And the notion, the fact that, like, throwing a Molotov cocktail to him seems like a perfectly good solution because it produces an outcome. Now, I have a different problem, but with no moral judgment, right. there's nothing. It's an incredible blank slate. So, I mean, I think we were talking, I know someone said earlier, like he and Chidi are opposites in that sense too, right? That they're, that um, Chidi is the, Jason has no decisiveness problem. Uh, and, and in fact, that's the thing that saves them in the bad places that she's, is that Jason's like Molotov cocktail. It changes the problem. And in fact, he was right. right? That was the best I, I think what's yeah. fascinating about Jason is his he is a he is an innocent in a lot of ways like he doesn't live in a moral universe and he hasn't given yeah. it a lot of thought and that's a question of like what do you do with somebody like that who he's done these things that would all we would all calculate as being bad but he doesn't really understand in a way like how bad those are on a scale and and like again in that next to last episode his his gamut of morality literally runs from the Jaguars win at Madden to the Jaguars lose at Madden. Like, that's his <laughs> test, is would you yeah. make the Jaguars lose? Yeah. That is, I mean, it's a funny joke, but it is literally the entire breadth of his moral universe. It's like, and when, when he it. says, oh, I figured it out. This is a test. And she says, yes, I literally <laughs> yes. said it was, what a moment. Right? Right. And, and so, like, how do you judge somebody like that who is who is in by his standards has moved a lot and grown a lot and yet is not in a dimension that we're supposed to measure or <laughs> I, I don't know. I, don't, I Chip, I don't want to take away. We, we kind of went on about all of them there, but I agree with you. William Jackson Harper is great. I love Chidi. I love that character. I love the way he plays him. I love how he he really you feel him like you feel his agony when he is conflicted about things. This is somebody Nobody who suffers like him. Oh yeah. yeah, the trolley problem. Yes. Um, that episode. I'm not one for. I'm not one for gore, and I did oh get God. a little tired at the end of him getting splashed with 
bits of person <laughs> repeatedly. And I have person in my teeth. Yes. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it's absolutely perfect. It is him. It, it is exactly him. He cannot make a decision. He gets covered in gunk. And he just can't move forward. It there it is quintessentially him. Um and then um in Rhonda Diana Jake and Trent in the <laughs> Bad Place episode, when he finally brings himself to uh to pop the other demon in the private places and you know, stuff like that. You know, <laughs> oh, so. you, you, you you witness you, you see the suffering on this guy's face. Uh, and it's written so it, it's written on his face so freaking beautifully. Yeah. All right. So in the last episode, they are uh, there is a a whispered conversation between Michael and Judge Jen, played by Maya Rudolph, about what to do. We don't hear what they're saying, which has led to plenty of speculation, uh, which we should probably talk about. Which is, you know, is this another test? Is are they really reincarnated, or are they running in a simulation of life? Um, what is life anyway? But but let's not go there yet. Uh, and but anyway, they, they they it seems like Eleanor basically is returned to Earth at the moment of her death, saved by an unseen person who is probably Michael, and is allowed to kind of like go on with her life. And there's this question of like, will she change? And and at the end of the episode, she she flies to Australia where Chidi is a professor and and uh, and she has found Chidi again, just as she told herself to do at the end of the first season. So I, I think we should start there is what do you all think? The last episode is was very unlike the first season. It feels almost like the first episode of season three, but they put it at the end of season two. What did you all think of this next phase? Question mark, because they could undo it in an episode like they did this year. But this seems to be their next phase is is uh, now they got to get back to the island. Sorry, that's lost, but it's very much like that <laughs> to me. Uh, but what do you think about about the resurrection of Eleanor? I think the moral of the story is that making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Interesting, interesting. You, you got to have <sighs> a good bartender, out. I think, to, to to pour out your yeah. uh, your misery to. Fortunately, she Someone did. Someone with a lot of experience. That that was an amazing moment. Ted, Ted Danson, we're going to put him behind a bar. I just sat there elbowing Laura, and I was like, he's behind the she, bar. She's like, I know, no. I know. Stop <laughs> elbowing. They were smart enough to not call it out explicitly. Yeah, she yeah. Said, my wife said, she, it took yes. me a minute. She's like, it took her a moment to get it because she said he was so comfortable behind the bar. It was so natural. Like, he'd <laughs> done it a million times. <laughs> the way he puts the towel over his shoulder, it seems so, oh, yes, right. The way he studiously <laughs> cleans the glasses is like, think, oh, hang on. How many God, years he had to do various bits of physical business as a bartender while dialogue is going oh on. God. So, of course, you have Ted dancing behind the Well, yeah, and it's, it's another great example of how they trust the audience. They don't force anything out into like making you want to oh look guys it's Ted Danson. He's, you know, for cheers. Like they don't have to lay that out because they know that the audience is going to be smart enough to get it. And that is just that very delicate way of handling everything in this entire situation. Like it's just so great. It, it was beautifully done. So beautifully done. Well, I think that's and Kathy, you said this earlier. I think that's what's so great about the show is they're not I mean, they're doing some hand holding, but it's not a lot of hand holding. You know, they're doing enough to advance the plot, but they're leaving a lot up for interpretation. And I love that. I think that's one of the things I like about it so much. And they're dealing with these dark, it really is dark, heavy morality 
uh, all all of that. Like it's really really heavy stuff, and it's such a like light and bright and funny show, and they they do it really really well. Um, but. I diverged. So I don't I don't know what this is going to be. But watching watching, you know, Michael and Janet with kind of like those ticker tapes <laughs> reading what's going right. on is so, so much fun. Um, I love that she goes back to Chidi. I love that that it like all roads lead to Chidi. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that they they always end up together. Um I think it's probably going to end up being like a simulation. Uh, it, it just makes sense because if they actually, um, if they actually put them back, back in time and did like time travel stuff, then we're dealing with, you know, like time paradoxes and, um, how they're impacting stuff. So I, I think it's like a simulation type thing. I'm not entirely convinced about the time argument because everything seems kind of eternal in the afterlife. Like, yeah. do they have access to just drop them right back yeah. where they were? I think I could go along with that, but I, I do have a hard time seeing how the show keeps going on with them all resurrected and improved as people. And how is, how does Michael, is he now their guardian angel? Essentially? and he's learning to be i mean they could but it's hard they previewed to it because the trolley episode he said well they're not real people well they act like they have real feelings and emotions but yeah. they're not real people and i think that was a little tell for this episode hmm. and there's there's also the mindy sinclair stuff where they go back again and she's like this is the 18th time you've been here you've known each other a long time you haven't just met right so they're i mean they are they are experiencing time that doesn't necessarily mean it coincides with you know time as we know it so i don't know i think the hint is that Chidi does not speak with an accent. I can explain that away just because it was a throwaway joke and they did say that he taught in Australia and the United States, right? So even though he might be more comfortable in French, maybe. I mean, I, I it could be a clue if they want it to be or they could just like wave it away, I feel like. Yeah. But it, it could be a clue. I, I had that moment of like, well, wait, a, French is his primary language. I think the conversation that Michael and uh, the judge had uh, is going to be like, hey, let's create these mm-hmm. simulations to allow them to meet up with each other, not in a central location, so that they have to have these little hints that are dropped to find each other. I mean, because how random is it? that she finds the YouTube video of Chidi talking and blah, 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 blah. Of course, it's being guided in a way that... That's Ted that... Danson using the phrase of the what we owe to each other, right? Which is like, that was right. that was him. Right. He's like, alter. he is their guardian angel, right? Even though he's a demon <laughs> yeah. trying to push them. It's It seems like he's going off book when he does that, yeah, though. To- because yeah, totally. He, he's like, did, it, did anyone notice yeah. I was gone? You know, so, I mean, <laughs> he might be guiding them. That doesn't mean that was, that was the point. No, but it it makes me wonder what limits are in place to allow in the real world to allow a demon to interact with a human in real life, which is why it makes me think it's a simulation because the realities of the real world, et cetera, et cetera. Unless he's God, but that's a talk about yeah, a theories. We'll get to theories. Future thought. Ted Danson is always yes. God, like regardless of anything. <laughs> My favorite thing about this conversation <laughs> is that it's steered by the fact that the season doesn't end on the resurrection itself. 
like it did in season one where we get no. maybe five minutes of uh wait what's going on in like this new afterlife thing uh we get a whole episode afterwards and it ends with uh eleanor finding chidi i think it's fascinating that they decided to end there instead of anywhere else they could have ended yeah i think that's a really great decision a number of reviewers have pointed out that you know it's it's a little flatter than twist ending and cliffhanger from season one but if they had ended with a twist ending and her and uh eleanor waking up in the supposed real world and being saved and um being surprised and wondering what happens next i think it would have been repetitive i think it would have yes you've promised us that you've reset the status quo uh, that you're going to reset the status quo again but this is the prologue to season three. This is actually mostly the first episode of season three, yeah. just given to us a little early. And that's genius. It's the first episode of another series, right? Is this is, I mean, I, I was joking, just watching it. And this is both, you know, I mean, this critically and amusingly is that it, it's like, oh, I see it's transitioning into My Name is Earl, and which is another show my wife and I watched adv- adv- avidly and thought had an incredibly funny cast, a lot of new people had a great moral center and was wrestling with real moral issues in a kind of a world full of people making lots of bad decisions and someone trying to be good has given another opportunity to be good uh, and was being guided by not entire or an unseen forces, but things were guiding him when he went astray. Uh, in this case, you know, this could be the premise of a series is uh, a woman is almost killed in an accident. She finds out she, or she never finds out she has a guardian angel, but he's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's the show, right? That's a high concept show and it could be on the air. Uh, instead, that's their sort of premise of taking us into whatever season three is going to be. I also wouldn't put it past them to, we've all said, no, 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 they, you know, they, they, uh, it's probably not real because what would that be? and all of that i don't know i wouldn't put it past this show to have them live and find each other and then like die again in a horrible accident and immediately hit by the trolley or whatever right yeah Yeah. and then just go back to the good place or the judge's place the the end of the chronicles of narnia scenario no no (laughs) oh it turns out michael was a lion all along well it's like kathy said if ted danson is god (laughs) <laughs> then he wouldn't need to manipulate things on Earth as much as he is. Like, this is definitely something he needs to intervene in, in a way that he can't just, like, pull strings uh, behind the scenes to make happen. My only disappointment in the season, and I, 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 I'd be interested to s- if you all disagree with me, that in the end, I feel like I know Michael too well. Like, he's become he's almost become morgan freeman in the end and and i don't want to believe that i want to believe that there's still some sort of a long game some sort of deception involved but in this last episode of the season you know he as wonderful as it is that him being behind the bar and him saying all of the right things to eleanor he's all of a sudden he's almost all all of a sudden become so much more zen and i I just I, I don't know where I don't know where he's going. They're going to go with that for the next season. But he seems to he seems to have evolved in an awful hurry. I feel like we get threads of this throughout, though, where he 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 works well under pressure and maybe it'll all fall apart. So he's doing what he needs to do to get through this. And this might be me projecting myself onto it, too. Where like I'm like, OK, 
this is a crisis. I need to do what I need to do to get through and then I can fall apart, you know, or go back to whatever I need to do. And maybe that's what this is, is Michael's like focused on the task and getting through it. And then it'll be it'll be, I don't know, a, a twist. I, I don't know. I hope he's not God. I will be so disappointed. I love me a good redemption arc. And mm. I, I really want to see a demon uh, become good. I think, I don't know. I think that'd be a good story. So we'll see what happens, I guess. I feel like they played it straight with us uh, for the season one finale. We saw the real Michael and that was not God. I think, uh, again, I've got, so we're in wild theory territory there, so I'll throw out some of the things that I think it could be. I, I, I do, I'm fascinated by the idea of reforming the afterlife, the idea that this system that they, that they, that is, they've found here is unfair and that there might actually be reform where Michael as the demon, uh, it's almost like a reverse it's the old reverse Lucifer where he <laughs> proves that the system is unfair and that, and that it needs to be a rehabilitation and not just a punishment system, which I, I have these moments where I think, I wonder if there is some commentary on like the prison system that is going to be part of this show, because there's this real question of like, are we here to punish or are we here to, to rehabilitate them? And if that's true, maybe Michael ends up building an entirely new system where people are allowed to improve themselves and earn their way into a better place it's also possible with the good i'm not entirely sure like this could still all be the bad place this could all still be the good place or it could just turn out that this is what happens when you die is you go to another world and and then you go to another one and that's just what it is i mean i think there are a lot of different ways they could go with it but i think michael could be redeemed in ways where he's not like god revealed to be god but he could be like the great um you know the new proprietor of the redemption uh, corner of Limbo, basically. I don't know. That's my theory. That's the end of the Narnia sequence is that each world is better and better. <laughs> so watch out. I, I have a theory. I almost feel like I should fi- fire off a double spoiler horn because I've been right, as you remember, some of my crazy well, if theories. It, if, like about If this is anything like River Star Trek Song. Discovery where Scott and I correctly predicted everything that happened. And yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, those were just wacky theories. They're like, no, they totally happened. I, I did the River Song prediction, yeah. so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm nervous. But so here's my double spoiler horn prediction is the end of the series, to my mind, if I have what they're doing right, and I don't think I do because I think they're too clever for me, is we go back, the neighborhood is rebuilt, Michael is in charge, the four humans are there to welcome people, and they bring through waves and waves of people to bring them through and make them better mm-hmm. before they get and to And Chidi teaches them all philosophy, moral yep. philosophy, and Eleanor... And they all hate him. I don't know what Eleanor does there. I don't know Jason does. What, what they, advice. We'll get them something but to do. All, they all have different aspects, but I think that's, I mean, I think the ultimate thing is, uh, this, this is my problem Helping with the others. cosmology. Well, it's not even, it's not even a problem with the cosmology, but the cosmology of the good place, you know, if you dig down into it because it's, you know, they, I don't know how much they fleshed it out and it's not that everything's perfectly consistent, but from the very beginning, we're given the impression that very few people go to a good place. So if there is a good place and there is a bad place, 
everything we've been led to believe, much of which could have been lies so far we don't really know, is that a tiny, tiny percentage of people pass all those tests. They get the right score. And that is a fundamentally unfair thing. And the show has seeded that now for two seasons, that it's fundamentally unfair how the system works and that so few people get to go there. Michael said hundreds of millions of people are in the bad place who could be in the good place. So we have a sense of the scope and maybe it should be billions. I don't know. So there's still that to learn, too, is that this is, you know, this is Christ, you know, not to get too Dante here, but it's like Christ going into hell and breaking apart discs. And, um, you know, it's the, it's the idea of, um, uh, kind of breaking hell and bringing you back into heaven. I don't know. There's something that's going to happen there. I agree with Aline that I, I, I'm really scared that they're going to get a little too cute with Michael. And I hope that regardless of what happens, uh, he is still the crux of, his character arc is the crux of how the show's plot develops. It, this episode has made me realize that I don't actually think Michael is God, but what I do think is he is the archangel Michael and has been sent to the demons and all of that to try and reform hell and reform the bad place into, and yet that would make it so judeo-christian which is something that they haven't really talked about um and that's something we didn't really talk about in this episode at all uh was how it's 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 such an open religion mindset almost um but if they were to have michael be an archangel michael and coming to reform it all like I don't know. I'm still processing it, but it definitely like I don't think he's got it. You could you could argue that where the show may be going is even if they, I mean, I think they wants to have it all the ways, or at least have it a bunch of different ways, so it isn't just pointing and saying this is the right answer. And I do think the show is basically saying the idea the idea of a religion where your life on Earth a score is kept, and if you do not pass a certain level, a certain bar that we've set that's very high, you're tormented forever and punished for your behavior on Earth is fundamentally unfair. And we're going to show you why it's unfair. And we're going to dream of a place where people are allowed to improve themselves and learn and grow and become better people because that is our that is our preferred idea of what an afterlife would be like. And I, I, I think that, that the show is going is already on its way to doing that. So that's you know, so that you, you end up taking Judeo Christian stuff and using it, but also critiquing it at the same time. And I think the show does do yeah. both. And, and of course, every time you're doing iterations, it comes back to things like Buddhism and the idea of, you know, constantly trying to uh, improve yourself. A lot of uh, Christian, particularly, you know, Calvinist and Protestant uh, Christian uh, theology, you know, the assumption, the assumption there in a lot of denominations is that there's nothing you can do to get to the good place. You've got to, uh, you've got to have the right religious mindset you've got to accept or you or or even it's not even that that you have to be chosen by god uh to be led in that there is nothing you can do to earn your way into the good place so i think that the i, th- I think that michael Schur and, uh, and the staff you know they they there are a couple of quotes out there about how he started exploring religion as uh, uh as an idea for doing some commentary in the show but and then he abandoned it because it, it 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 was it was just too hard and it wasn't good it wasn't good television 
and Mike Schur is not trying to be L. Ron Hubbard and start a religion, right? This is all right. this is all a show. It's meant to be funny, <laughs> and it's metaphorical, and it is about as as all great uh, science fiction and fantasy is. It's actually about real life on the, on planet Earth and about us trying to be better people and navigating uh, our our difficult universe and making the right choices and, and making the wrong choices and how we deal with that is I mean it is fun to speculate about the epistemology of the good place but it's not really <laughs> right. about that it's about all of us which is why yeah. seeing Eleanor in her world we see her there's a really heartbreaking episode in in this season where we see her backstory and and it's terrible like it's just, she has this kind of horrible yeah. history with her parents and then we see her come back to life in the last episode and really kind of give it a go of being a better person and then kind of backsliding and getting the pep talk from Michael and you know that is you know that's kind of what the show is about too is like somebody with a complex backstory like Eleanor who is like right on right on the edge of doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing in her life and how how does she make those decisions that's you know i think that's what the show's about i want to bring up something that's it, this is epistemological but it was happened in it happened in real life is that uh uh several years ago uh some high ranking person in the catholic church died and someone said of him another you know high ranking Vatican person said something like, you know, he faced the void with great equanimity or something like that. And people wrote into the newspapers, New York Times said, what do you mean the void? I thought Catholics believed in an afterlife. What are you talking about? And they wrote a really thoughtful article about it, talking to theologians saying, oh, well, the whole point is that we don't really know. And if you have true faith, you're always taking a leap of faith, a leap of faith. Uh, and well, that maybe even it's a leap, actually, it's this, it's a leap faith. to faith. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yes. Thank you. And, uh, Jump to conclusions, Matt, into uh, the afterlife. And I thought that's that thing. When Michael talks about a moral dessert, many religions, but not all, are founded on the notion uh, – or not, I shouldn't say many. Some percentage of religions are founded on the notion of a moral dessert justifying everything in life. And that's kind of what they're talking about. But it's also in our lives, right? That's the thing we're dealing with as we live day to day in a universe that feels devoid of morals right now in our real life, uh, that, you know, are we rewarded? Is there some benefit for facing all the nonsense by actually behaving in an ethical manner? But I, I think that's a fascinating thing that, that if you take away the moral dessert, if you have a religion in which there is no moral dessert, how do you, it, this is where you get into arguments about whether atheists can be, uh, you know, people talk about postmodernism and whether atheism has the capability to allow people to behave in an ethical, consistent manner with no punishment at the end. And so I think it's a very valid, um, I mean, I love the show, but I think it's also a really interesting way to look at that whole thing of like, how do we make our way through life if we, some people being devout and some people not, some people believing in that yummy cheesecake at the end of the universe, that shrimp machine dispensing endless shrimp and some not. I have no doubt that this show is going to make some kind of a some kind of a moral argument. Um, I mean, he's it, 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 the 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 sheer the sheer impact. There are bookstores with these are the books that Cheedy likes with just <laughs> ethics right. ethics tomes everywhere. You know, That's great. I have no I have no doubt that the show is going to make some kind of a moral argument, and I have no doubt that the show is going to continue to be funny in the way it does that. Beyond that. I just throw up my hands. All I have are predictions for season three and possibly the following story arc, um, which may be kind of prosaic, but I think that season three is going to spend a significant amount of time on Earth or fake Earth or whatever we've got with the the four of them 
trying to better themselves in more or less the real world. But after that, I think they're going to have a little problem. <laughs> even if they make their, even if they find a way to qualify for the good place, there's still Michael, and I think that Michael is the the redempt the actual redemption of Michael may be the the following plot for season four or whatever. That could be. See, if he's not God, he'll need to be uh, redeemed. That's what'll need to happen. Any other theories? Or predictions for next season. That's all we've got to keep us warm between now and September, people. I I, I got to say, this is the show that I've been able to watch. Uh, even though I'm a Doctor Who fan, and there are other shows that I like that are comfort shows that I can watch again and again or get more out of. I have never watched any television program episodes as many times, uh, except maybe Mash because Mash was on twice a day when I was growing up in reruns as this one. So like I've watched the finale five or six times. I've watched every episode of the first season. I've watched every episode of the first season multiple times. I've rewatched the whole season with my wife uh, once second season. We watched one episode and Lynn turned to me and said, Let's watch that again. I said, you're right. And we immediately watched the same episode again. It was the one, it was the, uh, the, in the bad place episode because that bit at the end where Michael makes the sacrifice. Oh, I, I mean, I know we were talking about episodes before. That was just the most beautiful wrenching moment. And we watched it again and we were both like, ah, at the end. So that's a, a great thing to say for the show. Kathy, do you have any, any, uh, ideas or expectations for next season? Just that I, they're going to completely do nothing that we expect. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't surprise right? me if the entire like season three, the season three first episode is just bam, bam. Let's show, you know, a short bit of Eleanor and Chidi talking. And then Tahani shows up and Jason shows up. And then, uh, surprise, it was all something. Or they're like, hit by a meteor. I can't even. <laughs> Yeah, you can't even get expectations because they're all going to be wrong. Yeah, because right. this <laughs> show could literally like, do anything. It just anything, makes me right? so excited. Yeah, yeah. And whatever they do is going to be great. I did hear a fun theory, by the way, which is, um, so the Jaguars are the joke because uh, Jason is from is from Jacksonville. Uh, and uh, I have family who used to live in Jacksonville for about 20 years. I've been to Jacksonville many times. They were Jaguars season ticket holders, no less, which is why I do have Jacksonville Jaguars memorabilia. Um, <laughs> and I've been outside the stadium, although not in it. Um, and so they they were um, legendarily bad for a long time. And this season, um, they actually were were good. They were very good, and they played a couple of playoff games. And their their first playoff oh, game great. was at home in Jacksonville. And one of the amazing things that happened is that the actor who plays Jason was there. <laughs> and they did Manny like... They, yeah, Manny Jacinto. And they, they shot video and stuff. I have heard a theory that they specifically sent him to Jacksonville for that game. And at, remember, at the time, the oh. Resurrection storyline had not appeared yet. Oh. I have heard a theory that they actually sent him there to shoot scenes thinking that that resurrected Jason Mendoza would be at the Jaguars playoff game. So we'll oh, see if that happens. But there that's is footage so of him, of Manny Jacinto, dressed as yep. Jason Mendoza, running around the stadium packed with Jaguars fans at the the game that the Jaguars won. That's so great. So maybe next season we'll see a little hint of Jason Mendoza in Jacksonville before he goes off to London to find Tahani or something. I don't even know or what happens there, but you're right. Almost anything could happen. Aline, do you have any expectations for next season? 
I, I no, I think it's going to be awesome. I have hopes. I hope that we get to see maybe a flashback of the the reboot where Tahani and Eleanor are soulmates. Oh yeah, I would like. Please. I would like to see because they butt yes. heads when they're not paired as soulmates. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see how that goes. I want to see the one where Jason figures out that they're in the bad place. Wait a minute! Oh, that really. Jason oh, that hurts. Oh, I really feel in that one. Oh. Um, I, you know, if they could, if they could just bring those, just glimpses of those four. I would be absolutely delighted. The thing that I love about The Good Place is that I have not been able to guess what will happen. Um, everything that they've done has felt plausible to me, um, especially after the twist at the end of the first season. But I've never really known what they will do. So, so I'm wide open. I don't know. Um, oh, and of course, more excellent costumes for Tahani because her wardrobe is stunning. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So I've got a it's list gorgeous. of hopes. I mean, y'all know how I am with the pretty dress shows. So, but mm. like, I have my hopes for for what'll <laughs> what'll happen. But I have no expectations or theories because they'll go anywhere, and I, I love it. Any other Brian Chip? Any other uh, expectations from you guys? The burrito comes back and is actually God. <laughs> That may as well be what happens. I have no idea. This show brings me along for my favorite ride of TV so far this year. What will the judge eat next? Maybe she'll have like an enchilada (laughs) and everybody will wonder, whoa, what is happening now? Nachos? If I made nachos, would anybody... It's guac, (laughs) chips and guac. Chip, anything uh, anything <laughs> on your list, your wish list? No, I'm just appreciating the uh, appreciating the show for yeah. what it, for what it is. I mean, it's one of the few shows that I've been able to get into and start watching in real time. Um, you know, I binged season one, and then I was like, "Oh my god, the show is back!" And I can watch it with my friends now, and I can talk about it in Twitter and stuff like that. But the stuff that the show talks about just really really speaks to me the whole trying to be a good person and what it means to try to be a good person um literally what we owe what we owe to each other that's that's a powerful phrase and when i watch the good place i laugh and i also feel a little motivated to try to be a little better than i than i was the day before um it makes me feel good both in terms of entertainment and also making me think and feel. It's a, it's one of the most thoughtful t- TV shows that I've seen in a long time. And it's, in one sense, a sitcom. And in another sense, it's a really, really short genre drama. Mm-hmm. You know, 30-minute episodes, yeah. half a season. You know, it's it's not exactly Doctor Who. You know, the it, it is focused storytelling uh, that is meaningful about what it means to be a good person. And it does it in a funny and non-preachy way. Um, like I said at the top of the podcast, you know, I, I'm really grateful for you all for calling me, calling my attention to it because I didn't know I needed a show so much. 
we're lucky to have this show. I, I think that's the thing. It's funny talking about yeah. a network, a network sitcom. Uh, a network sitcom. Yes. We are we are lucky to have this show because it is it is how it got on the air. I think it has to do with Mike Schur's clout and the trust that NBC had in him and wanting to kind of be in business with him after Parks and Rec went off, and that he has you know he's got a, a staff of writers. They are incredibly funny people. Many of them are on Twitter, as are some of the actors. Um, they are they they seem like a great bunch. They want to have fun and tell lots of silly jokes, but also have a show that's about something. And it's not about something in a in a you know a, a treacly way or a preachy way, but it is ultimately about like what makes us people and what makes us good or bad people. And yes, even Janet, who is not a person, it's kind of about her trying to, I mean, she's the, she is the Spock or data in a way of, Mm -hmm. of it being not human, trying to learn how to be human, just like Michael is maybe also trying to do that. Like, yeah, we, we, how fortunate, what a, what a gift uh, a show like this is to, to exist because it's so unlikely and it's so unlike anything else. And, uh, and yeah, I think I'm just very happy that it, that it, is the fact that it merits rewatching that it like benefits from rewatching how lucky are we to find something that that's so good and so deep and so funny all at once that's yeah we are very is the answer very lucky all right well i think that we're going to wrap it up here because sadly the good place is over until presumably this coming fall <laughs> no. i know but you can just keep rewatching those no. old episodes over and over I again do. Yeah, and hold them close to you and and bask in their warmth, the warm glow of the good place. Um, Or is that the bad place that glows warmly? Anyway, I'd like to thank my guests for being on this episode of the podcast. Uh, Chip Sutter, thank you so much for being here. I have a stomachache. <laughs> Glenn Fleischman, thank you. You didn't ruin it after all. This this reboot, it was successful. Maximum Glenning. <laughs> Kathy Campbell, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Jason. Aline Sims, thank you. I'm so glad I got to talk about my all-time favorite show oh, with you all. Yay! Oh. Can you believe Glenn picked it in the TV draft? And that's looking like a better and better pick all the time. <laughs> looking better all the time wait a minute hold on a second jason wait glenn was right this is a bad place how did glenn win jeopardy and brian hamilton thank you this was a very good comedy roast jason thank you (laughs) and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of the incomparable we'll be back with another episode next week because it's a weekly podcast that's what we do and of course the good place will be back in the fall and uh, we'll be watching that too goodbye everybody goodbye